uh, just keep that in mind. Acts 17 tonight, we're going to be in verse number 1. And um, I, I'm praying the Lord will use this to be a help to you this evening. Now, when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul, as his manner was, went in unto them, and three Sabbath days reasoned with them out of the Scriptures, opening and alleging that Christ must needs have suffered and risen again from the dead, and that this Jesus, whom I preached unto you, is Christ. And some of them believed and consorted with Paul and Silas, and of the devout Greeks a great multitude, and of the chief women not a few. But the Jews which believed not moved with envy, took unto them certain lewd fellows of the baser sword, and gathered a company, and set all the city on an uproar, and assaulted the house of Jason, and sought to bring them out to the people. And when they found them not, they drew Jason and certain brethren unto the rulers of the city, crying, These that have turned the world upside down are come hither also, whom Jason hath received. And these all do contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, one Jesus. Do you ever, do you ever try to put mental pictures when you're reading, uh, especially the Bible, right? And you're trying to understand it in a great way. I'm sitting here, I'm reading this passage in the house of Jason, and immediately in my mind, Jason Jenkins pops to mind. And then the certain brethren are taken with him, and immediately Jeremy Hendricks pops to my mind. So we can see those individuals, because I think those individuals would play a great host to a preacher who wants to share the gospel to that city. And so we see those individuals. Now, that's just in my mind. Where are we at? Verse 9. And when they had taken security of Jason and the other, they let them go. And the brethren immediately sent away Paul and Silas by night unto Berea, who coming thither went into the synagogue of the Jews. These were more noble than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the scriptures daily whether those things were so. Therefore many of them believed also of honorable women which were Greeks and of men not a few. But when the Jews of Thessalonica had knowledge that the word of God was preached to Paul at Berea, they came thither also and stirred up the people. And then immediately the brethren sent away Paul to go as it were to the sea. But Silas and Timotheus abode there still. And they that conducted Paul brought him into Athens and receiving a commandment unto Silas and Timotheus for to come to him with all speed they departed. And I just want to read verse 16. It begins another section of this chapter that we'll look at later. But he says in verse 16, Now while Paul waited for them at Athens... His spirit was stirred in him when he saw the city wholly given to idolatry. The title of my message tonight is Risk Versus Reward. Father, we pray tonight that you'd bless us as we gather together. Help us, Lord, to be faithful to you and give you praise for all things. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I saw this morning we have 31 people in the nursery this morning. I know a lot of churches don't have 30 people in them. We have 31 in the nursery this morning, and we usually around 40 to 45 kids 
and kids on on a weekly basis. Boy, that's a, that is a blessing, isn't it? We're in Acts chapter 17. The book of Acts is essentially a book pertaining to early church history. It's, it's talking about what was taking place. And, and we understand this as we read the Bible. The Bible doesn't give us every detail. I mean, it just couldn't, there wouldn't be enough volumes to cover every detail. Just as John wrote about Jesus, there was more things that he did than is actually recorded in the Scripture. But there are some important things here that God inspired Luke the physician to put down for us. And it's things as we journey through this early church that, that push us forward. Because we think we have problems today. They had problems back then, right? There, there's always problems. Dylan, one day you're going to try to figure out where you're going to minister. And I promise you wherever it is, whether it's in the south whether it's the Northeast, whether it's California, whether it's in Wyoming, there's going to be problems, okay? There's no easy place for ministry. There's no easy way. There is, there is just a man with a Bible trying to share the gospel of Jesus Christ to sinners, and you find sinners wherever you go, right? And so we, we see here, Paul is obviously dealing with a number of issues, now, as we, as we proceed, I want to give you some, just, just a couple of background notes concerning Thessalonica. I don't know if you're into that stuff, but I like that stuff. I, I like to put history and, and how everything applies. Well, in 315 B.C., Thessaloniki was founded, Thessalonica was founded in, uh, by Cassander of Macedon who named it after his wife, who just so happened to be the half-sister of Alexander the Great. It, it became the capital of the Roman province in 146 B.C. And we often hear of Pompeian history. It was Pompey's base a century later during the civil war that was taking place with Julius Caesar. And it became a free city of the Roman Republic in 41 B.C. under Mark Antony. And when we read 1 Thessalonians, because Paul writes the letter of 1 Thessalonians, there are many who believe that it was the first uh, letter that was actually written in the New Testament. Paul speaks of it as an idolatrous city that was filled with Jews and Gentiles when he visited there around 52 A.D. And even today, it is still the second largest city in the nation that we know of today is Greece. And so that's the history of it. Today, if you looked it up, it's pronounced Thessaloniki. And uh, so there was a lot of history there. We, we often talk about uh, going to Israel and Bible history. Well, you can go to Greece, you can go to Turkey, and you can find a lot of Bible history as well. A lot of things taking place there. Now, I think Paul is the most courageous individual I have ever known or read about, apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is because he was an individual who is completely sold out. And we like to read biographies. We like to watch movies. 
we, we, like, we like to see the stories of individuals who, whatever it was, they were sold out for it. They, gave, they were willing to give everything, even their life, for a particular cause or an event. They, they dedicated their life to being the best at what they were trying to do. And we like, we like that. We, we call those, uh, we call those uh, stories um, inspirational. Recently on Facebook, there has been a saying that has been circulating that I find rather convicting. I also believe it to be very true. And that is, if the Apostle Paul was around today, the church in America would be getting a letter. Don't you think that's true? Paul, Paul ministered. We, we see throughout the book of Acts the different locations. We just got through his first journey when he was in Galatia. And he deals, and, and you can see there just highlights of why he had to write the letter to the Galatians. And uh, in Acts 17, in Acts 16, he was in Philippi. And we, we have the letter to the Philippians. And uh, we also have the letter to First and Second Thessalonians that we're reading here in Acts 17. Corinthians is coming up. And later, the Ephesians in Acts chapter 19 and chapter 20. Paul was a courageous individual. He stood for Christ. He stood for righteousness. And he was never afraid to call you out if you strayed from that path. And a lot of times we think that those people are obtrusive. We think that they're rude. But the fact is, we often need those kind of people in our life. If it offends us when somebody's trying to correct us, we're the ones that are wrong, not them. Right? And Paul was that kind of individual. He was bold, he was, he was strong in, in what he believed, and he had no problem standing for it. He, he got in Peter's face concerning a particular issue that we looked back a uh, uh, month or so back in December uh, when, when he had an issue with him right after his first journey. And so Paul stood for, stood for what is right. Young, young guys like men who they can look up to. We, we, like, we like people that we admire. We like people that we can respect. We like them to the point that we even try to emulate them in a lot of ways. When I was a young preacher, I, I had certain preachers that I had a lot of respect for. And I would sit there and I would take notes and I would listen to them preach. And I would find myself when I was preaching sort of, sort of taking some of them and applying it to me. And their style kind of become my style a little bit. And so I, I took a little bit of these different individuals that I had a lot of respect for. And uh, obviously God was using, and it meant something. Um, I think the Apostle Paul should be such a man for every young man and every believer. Amen? He was that kind of person. Look in Acts chapter 14, and uh, I, let's just read verse 19 and 20 just as a... As a reminder, I mean, this is his first missionary journey. And it says, And there came thither certain Jews from Antioch and Iconium who persuaded the people, and having stoned Paul, drew him out of the city, supposing he had been dead. Now, some of you, some of you guys are thinking, I've been stoned before, but we're not talking about that kind of stoning, Stephen. All right, we're talking about a different kind of stoning. Paul was stoned and drug out of the city and left for dead. All right? 
And look what he does in verse 20. Howbeit, as the disciples stood round about him, he arose up and came into the city, and the next day departed with Barnabas to Derby. I mean, who does that? Who, who, who is strong enough for one? Who is bold enough to actually have big rocks thrown at you to the point that you lose consciousness? And they drag you out of the city and leave you there as a bloody mess. And your friends are standing around you thinking that you are gone. And when you regain consciousness, your first thought is, what are y'all just standing here for? Let's get back into town. I mean, that is some kind of man. And uh, I think he is someone to be respected and admired. And if you want to emulate somebody in your Christian faith, I mean, strive to be that kind of individual. You go to Acts 16, where we were just in, in, in Philippi. And you remember there that uh, he, he delivered the gospel to the ladies there by the, uh, by the creek. And, uh, and uh, Lydia and her household was baptized. Uh, she, she listened to what Paul had to say. And then they helped that demon-possessed woman in uh, verse 17 and 18 of this chapter. And, and you, uh, as a result, individuals are upset. They make people mad because they had took away their profit because they, uh, because they removed the evil spirit from this woman. They were delivered. Paul and Silas were delivered to the magistrates. And you get to verse 23 in Acts 16. And when they had laid many stripes upon them, they cast them into prison charging the jailer to keep them safely, all right? Uh, who having received such a charge, thrust them into the inner prison and made their feet fast in the stocks. And at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God and the prisoners heard them. Again, Zach Moon, who does that? I mean, what kind of man does that? I was transparent with you this morning. There are times where I'm a little discouraged, I, I got a bad spirit, and I have not been stoned, I have not been beaten, I am not in a jail cell, and my wife asks me to pray, and I say, you know what, I can't do it right now. I'm not in the right spirit right now. Here is an individual who has been beaten for doing nothing but good, and he is bleeding, and yet there he is in, in shackles, praising God and praying to the Lord. I mean, that is, that is some kind of individual. And even, even when later that night the earthquake takes place and the prison doors open at midnight and the prison doors open and everyone's shackles are loosed and the keeper of the prison is ready to take a sword and put it through his own heart Paul reaches out to him and tells him to do thyself no harm. You know as well as I do, most of you would just say, vengeance is mine, vengeance is the Lord. Let the Lord take care of him, right? That's what we would pray for. That's what we would think. And yet he says, do thyself no harm. And, and here comes that jailer in there. And he's got a light and he falls down before Paul and Silas and he asks them a question, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? You know why that doesn't happen to most of us? Because when we're down in the dumps, we're not praising God. We're not giving glory to God. We're not, we're not praying that others might be saved, that through this testimony, God might get glory. 
That's the reason why people are not coming running to us and falling down and saying, Hey, listen, how can I get what you have? How can I be saved? That's convicting in itself. There's something about the Apostle Paul. Now, when he, now here he is in our text, and he's in Acts chapter 17. And he left Philippi on his own terms. And he proceeds to make the uh, approximately 100-mile journey by foot. That's, that's from going from here to Nashville by foot. Stopping one night in Amphipolis and the next night in Apollonia just so that he can get to the chief city of Thessalonica. And when he got there, he found a Jewish synagogue. There wasn't one in Philippi, but here he shows up in this Jewish synagogue. Now, when I read this tonight, and I'm praying and I'm thinking about, God, what can I, what can I deliver for our church family? A message that is relative, a message that can help us right where we're at. I, I confess that none of us, I don't think, are at the same spiritual level as the Apostle Paul. If there is one, you can say amen. I didn't think so. And the vast majority in this room are not called to be preachers of the word in the sense that we think of as pastors, teachers, evangelists, and missionaries. So what do we glean from this? I mean, I, I can't just preach a message about Paul and say, hey, we ought to be like Paul. I think there are some things that we need that the Apostle Paul has that can be applied to our life. And so before I move forward, there's some, I think, some presuppositions that we need to uh, look at before we look at this text. And if you agree with this, just agree with me saying amen and we can move on, Okay. All of us who are believers are called to be a people of the Word of God. Amen? We agree with that, right? So we understand that. All of us as believers are called to have a part in sharing the gospel to our generation, correct? That, that is a responsibility for everyone. We understand that. And all of us as believers are called to live a life of faith. Amen? The just shall live by faith. That is, that is something for every individual, okay? So I want us to look tonight at some things. As I've looked through this passage, God, what can I get from this? I am not Paul, and I want to grow, and I want to get better, and I want to be more bold, and I want to grow in my faith. But what is it about Paul in this passage that I can relate to and that I can apply to my life? And the first one tonight you find in verse number 2. And that is, he was consistent in his efforts to serve the Lord. And I believe tonight that all of us can work at being consistent in our effort in serving the Lord. Amen? All of us can do that. And, and when we think about this, who, who else in the Bible is always consistent? Hebrews 13 uh, chapter 13, verse 8 says that this individual is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Who is that? It's Jesus Christ, right? He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is always consistent. And so Paul was consistent in his efforts. Because it says in verse 2, And Paul, as his manner was. You ought to underline that phrase. 
as his manner was, went in unto them, and three Sabbath days reasoned with them out of the Scriptures. When you think about it, in his description of what took place in Thessalonica, Luke, who is inspired by the Holy Spirit and what he documents, describes Paul as doing what he normally does. And that is, he went into the synagogue and was found reasoning with others out of the Scriptures. We might call that a reputation. I I would rather prefer to call it as his character. Because a reputation can change, and a reputation is, de- is dependent upon who is, who is giving it. You, you, might, you might say one thing about Kylie, Taya might say another thing, um, Brady Kate may say another thing. That's how we perceive you, that's your reputation. His character, Paul, I don't imagine Luke was surprised at all. Paul did what Paul always does. That was his manner. He was faithful. He was consistent in that. And so what does this tell us about the character of Paul that relates to all of us? And I believe the first is this. You can jot this down. The first is that the scriptures mattered to Paul. Okay? Because in order to speak to others concerning the word of God, he had to be an individual who spent time in the scriptures to discern its meaning an appropriate application. Amen? So the scriptures had to mean something to Paul. He, he, did not, he did not ever get in the scriptures. And for him, that was the Old Testament. So he did not never spend time in the, in the scriptures and suddenly sit down with individuals and say, hey, all of you are going to go to hell if you don't get saved. He had to have, his confidence was in the fact that he knew what the word of God had to say. And you've got to have confidence. If you're going to walk into a room of Jewish believers who are, who are there to worship God in the way that they believe is right, you better have some confidence to go with your boldness if you're going to step in there and do that. And his confidence was in what he knew about the Scriptures. And he couldn't, the Scriptures mattered to Paul. And the second thing is this, people mattered to Paul. Because he wasn't just there to do a recording or a podcast. He was there to speak to individuals concerning their eternal lives. He was, I I would think that Paul was acquainted with his own vulnerability. Because he was a Pharisaical Jew who believed that he did everything that he did contrary to Christ. He believed he was doing in the name of God. He believed that he was right. He believed that he knew what, was, uh, what God's word had to say. And so if God could transform his faith and his belief, then I believe it persuaded him and motivated him to reach those who believed wrongly as he once did. With those two thoughts, I encourage us to ask ourselves two questions tonight. Should the scriptures not have a high priority in every Christian life? Amen, they should. They should have a high priority in every Christian life. And I am encouraging you, I am begging you, I am beseeching you, get in the word of God. Get in the Bible every day. Amen? 
I, I, it doesn't matter to me if you're on a daily Bible reading program to read the New Testament three times a year or you're trying to read the entire Bible throughout a year. Just get in the Word of God every day. Every person is different. Everybody's reading. Everybody's um, being able to comprehend it. All of those things is different for every individual. But don't be a people who are not in the Word of God. Get in the Word. We, we say phrases like the Word of God is our final authority in all matters of faith and practice. But I often question if that is really true. Do we prayerfully search the Scriptures to find direction in our daily life? And the simple matter is this, when I was thinking about this, I would not be the pastor of Somerville Baptist Church if not for the book of Joshua. And that was just getting in there and saying, Lord, give some direction in what is next for my life. And the sad thing for many Christians is that we, we like really good preaching, but we don't like really good Bible reading. We like, we like Bible studies, but we don't like studying the Bible. We like daily devotionals, but we neglect our personal daily devotions. And all of those things are good, but it should not take place of our time with just me and God and you and God. We would rather regurgitate the spiritual thoughts others have chewed on rather than develop our own spiritual thoughts. And the fact is, as Paul delivers, the gospel came according to the scriptures, 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4. He says, for I delivered unto you first uh, that I believed that, that Christ died according to the scriptures, that he was buried and that he raised again on the third day according to the scriptures. It is the gospel that saves, amen? It's not our opinion of the gospel, it is what God says about the gospel, what the scriptures have to say. All scripture, 2 Timothy 3 verse 16, turn there with me please, 2 Timothy 3 Verse 16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. All scripture is given to us of God. All scripture is profitable. There is an application that can help us in one way or another in the scriptures. So, the scripture is profitable for us. And then you see in verse 17 of 2 Timothy 3 that we cannot truly be what God wants us to be without him. Because he says that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. So we have to be people of the scripture. Um, William Tyndale. William Tyndale was around in the 16th century. And he had a desire for the common man to have the Bible in his language. And so he translated the Bible into the English language. And of course the Holy Roman uh, Church persecuted him. And had him, uh, when, they, when they were finally able to get a hold of him, they had him tied to a stake, they strangled him. And burned his body in front of everyone. Simply because his desire was so that you and I 
didn't have to listen to a preacher deliver the word of God. We could sit in our own homes and hear it. Amen? So that, that comes at a high price. We don't have to be an Apostle Paul for the Word of God to have a priority in our life. The Scriptures should have a high priority simply because we want to know the truth. And you get back to Acts 17, you see that description by the Bereans who got in the Word of God. We'll look at them more in just a moment. Now, I want to say this, and I mentioned it this morning. How can we ever be found in the will of God if we're never in the Word of God. So the Scriptures should matter to every believer. And secondly, people should matter to every Christian. Amen? People, maybe people don't matter to every lost person, but people should matter to every saved person. Because despite our sin, we matter to God. Romans 5, 8, But God commendeth His love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners... Christ died for us. I was talking to somebody yesterday and I made this statement. You and I can never pay our debt. We can never be faithful enough. We can never serve God enough. We can never be thankful enough. We can never do enough to outweigh what God has done for us. Can you say the same? All of us should be able to say that. People should matter to Christ because, to Christians because we matter to the Lord. If God did it for us, he can do it for anyone. And maybe God doesn't call you and I to carry the gospel to Greece, but through missions giving, we can, we can help someone else carry the gospel to Greece. Amen? And meanwhile, we're just going to go across, our, uh, across the street and carry the gospel to the Greens because they matter to us. And as his manner was, Paul went into the Jewish synagogue in order to reach his people. Why? Because one, he understood them being a Jew himself. Two, because they already had a knowledge of God and of the scriptures, though they were misapplied. But also, if you look in Romans chapter 10, I want you to see this. You want to see Paul's heart? Look here. He is the apostle to the Gentiles. But it never changes his heart for his people. I think the Apostle Paul, we, we think of men, we think of manly men, we think of being a patriot, loving America, gods and guns and all of those things. I think Paul was, was a patriot in the greatest sense. He says, Romans 10 verse 1, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. Amen. If... We, we just need to have a burden in our own heart that pushes us forward to be consistent in our faith and the way that we share our faith. And the question is, really, we have to determine our risk-to-reward ratio. And meaning, what are we willing to risk for our family to be saved? I think we should be willing to risk it all. Are you all with me? If you got a loved one that doesn't know Jesus Christ as their Savior, that, I, that, that should really move us. That should really burden us. What, is, what are we willing to risk for our community? What are we willing to risk for our generation? Paul was consistent 
and his efforts of serving the Lord. Verse 4 gives us the reward of his risk. Look there. And some of them believed and consorted with Paul and Silas, and of the devout Greeks a great multitude, and of the chief women not a few. People came to believe the Lord Jesus Christ. And of course, when that happens, it gets the attention of every religious person in town. And in verse number 5, we read that the Jews who didn't believe were moved into action out of envy. And envy is a human emotion, but it's not a spiritual emotion. In Galatians chapter 5 and verse 17, it speaks of the lust of the flesh and how envying is a part, is a fruit of our flesh, but it's not a fruit of the Spirit. Envy will make us do things that are uncharacteristic. Look in verse 5 of Acts chapter 17. Through envy, through envy, it says that the Jews which believed not, moved with envy, took unto them certain lewd fellows of the baser sort and gathered a company and set all the city on an uproar and assaulted the house of Jason and sought to bring them out to the people. So, Chesterson called those people, certain lewd fellows, the basers. They were people of the marketplace. He called them bums. They were people who sat around and didn't do anything but look for trouble. And suddenly, a people that the Jews would have nothing to do with, they found a common thing. And they said, if we're going to stir up trouble, let's get this crowd to help us. Have you ever noticed that? That when people, when people have a problem with someone else... Suddenly, enemies join together. Have you ever noticed that? So here they're joining together, and they go to the house of Jason, where Paul was, uh, and the preachers were staying. And they go, and they didn't find Paul. They didn't find none of them, but they went in there, and they got Jason, and they got some of the brethren who were with him and pulled them out of there. And I think about this, Jason Jenkins. Jason had to know that it was a risk to put that preacher in his house. But to him, the opportunity for the gospel to reach his family and his community was worth the risk. Right? He stood for that. Now, let me, let me give you this here. Years ago, there was this preacher who had a great influence in my Christian life. And he was from the hills of North Carolina. And if you don't know about churches in North Carolina, man, you're missing something. Because I wouldn't have to hold my hand to my ear. Them people are shouting amen by the time they walk in the door. They are a rowdy bunch of people. And uh, he had some guys who had got saved. I mean, this preacher, he was an ex-Marine himself. He was saved from a drug life. He was transformed and God did a great thing in his heart, and he was able to reach people who come from rough backgrounds. And uh, he, was at, he was in bed one Saturday night, Steve. He was in bed on a Saturday night, and he got a phone call. And it was from a bar in town. And they asked, they, they asked uh, who, who this was when he called them, and he says, well, who are you calling? And they asked him his name. He says, yeah, that's me. He said, do you know so-and-so? And he says, yeah, I know him. And he says, well, he's at the bar. He's at so-and-so bar in town. And he is holding this place hostage. And he says that he is not going to let everyone go until you get down here. Well, he knew this guy, and he was not surprised one bit. And so 
he put his blue jeans on, he put his t-shirt on, and he went down there to try to get this guy out of this situation. And that guy was standing up on the pool table, had a gun. I don't know why they didn't call the police. They didn't call the police. They called this preacher, and he shows up, and he says, what are you doing? And he says, I came down here because these people need to hear about Jesus Christ. And he says, okay, but is this the way to do it? He said, he says, I don't know exactly what to tell them, but I know you do. And so I told him, we're going to stay right here until you got here. And so people asked him, well, what did you do? He said, I got up on that pool table. And he said, let me tell you something, you bunch of cigarette smoking, dope dealing, alcohol drinking. And he started preaching Jesus Christ to every one of them. And I thought, man, you are crazy. Right? He's, somebody got saved. I thought he was a lunatic. Years later, years later, I'm pastoring a church. And I've got this woman who comes to my, our church. And uh, she is praying for her husband to get saved. And uh, I thought about this because I was talking about this particular individual yesterday. And uh, she's praying for him to get saved. Really wanted to get saved. And I was praying with her for him. His name was Fred. And I finally caught Fred. Uh, there was a mutual acquaintance, and, and, and uh, I can't remember who it was, but it was a funeral service. I preached the funeral, and he was there. And I got done with the funeral, and I went over there, and I introduced myself. And uh, I, talked to, uh, I talked to Fred, and... I, uh, I used that opportunity to invite him to church. I said, listen, I've been praying for you. I'd love to see you come to church. And his son was right there with him. And they didn't like me inviting them to church one bit. And Fred says, I tell you what, I'll come to church if you'll come to the tavern. And I said, okay. I said, but if I'm coming, I'm coming with a Bible and I'm going to preach. I thought, I thought about my friend. I said, I'll come. I'll be glad to come. But I want you to know I'm coming with a Bible, and I'm going to preach when I get there. And he looked at his son, and he said, you better not come. And I said, whether I come or not, you still need to know the Lord. I'm praying for you, and I want you to come to church. I'd like for you to join your wife. And come and be there with your wife and love the Lord. Had the opportunity to speak to Fred a few times. Fred never got saved. I just learned yesterday that not long after that, a couple of years after that, Fred passed away. I didn't know that. Hope Fred got saved. One time I was invited to a panoply, a fine arts center in, in downtown Huntsville. I was, I was just there the other day and I was standing in that location and I was thinking... Do they even still have panoply? I don't know. But I got invited by a, a guy who's now a missionary in Mexico. He says, hey, what do you think? Let's go pass out some tracks at panoply. And I said, let's go do it. Let's go have some fun. And we got there and we started passing out tracks. And I remember this lady caught my eye or I caught her eye. And man, she gave me an ugly look. And she's, she come toward me and she says, what are you doing? And my friend suddenly went the other direction. He took off. And I'm standing there and she says, what are you doing? 
And I said, I'm just, I, I handed her one. I said, I'm just handing out these gospel tracts. I just, they tell people about Jesus. And uh, I said, I just wanted to use this opportunity with all these people here to tell them about Jesus Christ. And she says, you can't do that here. I said, why can't I do that here? I have a constitutional right. This is a public place. Why can't I do that here? She says, you can't do that here. Come with me. And she took me to the lion's den. She took me before the, all the people who were in charge. And they said, and she told them what I was doing. And they said, you can't do that here. And I said, sure I can. I said, I can tell people about Jesus Christ. This is a public place. We're in downtown. We're at Big Spring Park. I can tell people about Jesus Christ. She says, yeah, but we have leased this. You see that fence? She says, you can't do this inside that fence. I said, oh. <laughs> and she says, if, if you want to go, she said, I believe in what you're doing. And my response was, if you believed in what I was doing, you'd turn your head and let me do it. And she says, I can't do that. You have to go outside the fence. And if you want to do that out there, then so be it. So I went outside the fence. And I started passing out gospel tracts when people were coming in. And my friend just kept on going. And he just kept passing them out until we were completely out. I'm telling you something, living the Christian life, dealing is fun. Right? And you'll... You have to determine what's the risk to the reward. I did not get stoned. I did not go to jail. I did not get in major trouble. But some people got to hear about Jesus that day that maybe their mother or their grandmother has been praying for for years. Amen? You just got to be willing to take a risk. I'm just going to highlight the last couple of points. He stood for righteousness in verse number 6. He stood for what is right. And when they found them not, they drew Jason and certain brethren under the rulers of the city, crying, These that have turned the world upside down are come hither also. I would say that the world was, was right side up until Adam and Eve sinned, and then it got turned upside down, wouldn't you? So I don't think Paul turned the world upside down. I think he was turning it back up where it should be. And that is reconciling people to Jesus Christ. He stood for what was right. The, the, the brethren who was with them, they said, man, it's not worth it. You need to get out of here. They got him out of town. I imagine, it doesn't say that, but reading between the lines, if Paul... If Paul could take a beating in Acts 16, if he could take a stone in Acts 14, I imagine it was pretty hard to get him to leave town. But he left. But he was always someone willing to stand for what is right. Thirdly, he refused to quit. Because now he moves to Berea in verse 10. Let's read that together. And the brethren immediately sent away Paul and Silas by night unto Berea, who coming thither went into the synagogue of the Jews. These were more noble than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the scriptures daily whether these things were so. Therefore many of them believed also of honorable women which were Greeks and of men not a few. Paul could have could have had his head down and his tail between his legs and been and said, I'm done, I'm frustrated, I'm not going to do it. But when he got to the next neighborhood, he just kept telling people about Jesus. And more people got saved as a result. And then lastly, verse 16, 
He was sensitive to the Spirit of God. We'll get more into what takes place in Athens later. But when Paul was standing in Athens, the Bible says that his spirit was stirred in him when he saw the city wholly given to idolatry. And I think our biggest problem is our spirit doesn't get stirred. We're okay with people cussing. We're okay with nudity. We're okay with the problems that we see everywhere. It does not affect us. We need to be in a place where our spirit is stirred. And there is something, whether we obey it or not, that's another subject. But there ought to be something within us that says, Hey, talk to that person. Hey, text that person. Hey, hey, give that person a gospel track. Give them person an invite card. There ought to be, if we never hear that still small voice, there's something wrong in our heart. We ought to have to deal with the fact, am I, go, am I going to obey the Lord or not? The problem with a lot of us, we never put ourselves in a position that we need to obey. We're not listening. Can I, can I, can I give you this in closing? Think of all the chaos that Paul was surrounded with, the threats and the persecutions that was always around him. And somehow he could steal his mind and his spirit that he could still hear the voice of God. I think that is powerful. Because a lot of times my mind is racing on over a hundred things. And you're thinking about what that person is going to react, what that person may say. Paul, Paul looked around him and he said, these people don't know the Lord. Just by observation. And it didn't matter everything that he had been through. It didn't matter the fact that every time he went from one town to another, those people followed him. He found a way to get steel to calm everything that is in him and hear the Lord nudge him. And he just had to do something about it. So, maybe we're not going to be the Apostle Pauls. And maybe most of us are not going to the foreign field and tell people about Jesus Christ. But all of us can be consistent in, the, in our efforts of serving the Lord. There ought to be... I'm going to pick on my four boys. There ought to be a testimony at Brewer High School where people say, He's just doing what he always does. As his manner was. When he entered a new town, he's going to find somebody to tell about the Lord. Be faithful. Make it a habit to get in the Word of God. I don't know who that young one was, but thank you. Make it a habit. Let that be your manner. Be consistent in it and grow in it. Let God, let God speak to you personally. Let God steal your heart and mind and soul and spirit 
and let God give you something personally that you need. Be consistent in your spirit. Stand, don't be afraid to just stand for what is right. People will say what they want to say. People will think what they want to think. Know what, know what you believe, know where you stand, and stand there. Refuse to quit. No matter how hard it gets, no matter how challenging or difficult, don't quit. If somebody is rude, if somebody is negative, go find the next person. Go find the next one. And then lastly, be sensitive to the Spirit. Let God lead you. Let God lead me. Let God lead this church. Let's be listening to the nudging of the Lord and allow God to do great things in our life. All of us can apply those things to our hearts and, just, and our character and just see what God can do with it. Let's bow our heads tonight, okay? Deanna's come.